But anyway, I don't know. What is it about and on planes? I'm just more emotional with anything. Oh, yeah. Like even music kind of hits different up there. I don't know what goes on. Must be must be the altitude. <laughs> if you ever see me crying on a plane, just keep it moving. <laughs> it's fine. I'm fine. <laughs> it's okay. I'll let you know if I'm having an emergency. <laughs> oh, Dawson, look, there's your mom. Back to you, Bob. Hello and welcome to Back to You, Baba Dawson's Creek Podcast. We are your hosts, Christina and Micah, and this is episode 219, Abby Morgan, Rest in Peace, which originally aired on 5599, Cinco de Mayo. Wow, Cinco de Mayo. But I was 16, so I probably wasn't doing anything. I don't think I celebrated Cinco de Mayo until college, and then it was just an excuse to drink. I probably just went to Taco Bell. Just like every other Wednesday. (laughs) So what are we drinking? Today we're drinking The Undertaker, which is basically a twist on the espresso martini. It is three ounces of vanilla vodka, one ounce of Kahlua, one ounce of creme de cacao, and one ounce of chilled espresso or cold brew. I love an espresso martini. I got really into it about a year and a half ago when I got really into Below Deck. I basically binged all Below Deck, either 2021 or 2022, and they make a lot of those in that show. And then I just got weirdly into them. And then now my friend Danielle, shout out to Danielle. She makes me them all the time. That's awesome. I never drink them because uh, I like can't drink caffeine late in the day, but I saw you, you were recently home and I had two espresso martinis and then now we're drinking espresso martinis. So you are the one that can get me to drink an espresso martini. You just made me realize when I saw you over break, you gave me my ice house shirt and I really wanted to wear it. And be like Joey Potter and Jack McPhee, but I forgot. Instead, I'm wearing my Bucky shirt. Yeah, I love your Bucky shirt. I need to get to Bucky's. Shout out to Bucky's. I was just in Texas. I love Bucky's. Tell me about it. It's gigantic. They have all this swag. The one I went to was like half of it was a store, then the rest of it was just oh, food on food on food. You know, like sheets and Wawa, but like mm-hmm. on rack. Just there was a burrito and taco section. There was like a bakery section. There was like a barbecue section. All this jerky and then, you know, the regular freezer walls where you can get, you know, beer and Coke and and they're known for their bathrooms. And I did go into the bathroom and I see why. Really nice. So many stalls, so clean. You know, everyone in Texas is proper and has manners. Everything was really clean and nice. Not like out here. Out here, I'd be like ruined. Oh, nightmare. Out here is a nightmare. We're in two different places. (laughs) Out here, out there. Look. If you want a clean bathroom, go to the middle of the country. <laughs> go to Texas. Well, I'm going to dive into our little recap. Tell us what it's about. So this episode picks up almost exactly where we left off last time. With Dawson and Joey fresh off of their reunion in their dance at the wedding. And they crawl into Dawson's window and they're shocked to find Jen. She's in a trance. She's traumatized. She's crying and she's staring off into space. She explains that they were at the docks and Abby fell and hit her head and she's drowned. She's dead. Joey immediately comforts Jen. At school a few days later, Jen's having a really hard time with the student body's reaction to Abby's death. There's a group therapy session with a grief counselor. There's a girl selling armbands in honor of Abby, and she's selling flowers in the cafeteria too. 
Jen is really fed up. This kind of comes to a head when Andy gives her speech during group therapy and she says how sad she is and how shocked she is at Abby's death. This leads to a confrontation between Andy and Jen. Jen tells Andy she hates how fake everyone's being and Andy says it's not in her nature to malign the dead. Jen says it's not maligning if it's true. And she ends up blaming Andy for Abby's death, saying they wouldn't even have been at the docks if it wasn't for Andy kicking them out of the wedding in the first place. Jen devastates Andy with this. Gail has gotten an award for the piece she did in episode 212 on Chartered Waters, and this award has led to a job offer in Philadelphia. She has no plans of uprooting Dawson and says that Mitch can move back in with him, and Dawson kind of uses this knowledge as a way to try to reunite Mitch and Gail, but Mitch doesn't really take the bait and says that he's happy for Gail. Jen, meanwhile, is on a downward spiral the whole episode. She's drinking, she's lashing out at everyone, especially Graham's, and the tension between the two that's been building for two seasons really reaches a boiling point. Grams is so devout and spiritual and holy, and Jen, more than ever, is going on about this anti-God rhetoric and how there is no God, and if there is a God, why is there so much pain? And she says all these things that really hurts Graham very deeply. Pacey and Andy, meanwhile, run into Abby's mom, who remembers Andy also from episode 212 in Charter Waters, where she gave Andy a ride home. She tells Andy that no one's volunteered to give the eulogy, and she asks Andy if she will say a few words. She agrees, and Pacey thinks that it's crazy, but Andy says that she will never forget the nice things that people said about her brother Tim at his funeral, and that helped get her through it. She feels an obligation to do this, and she knows there has to be a way to do it respectfully, yet truthfully. Andy wants some insight into who Abby was. So during the visiting hours at Abby's house, Pacey and Andy sneak into Abby's room and find her diary, and it is riddled with scathing remarks about everyone in Capeside, including Abby's own mother. It's becoming harder and harder to think of a way that Andy's going to be able to do this respectfully. Pacey offers to give the eulogy for Andy, but Andy says that she can handle this. She loves how Pacey's always trying to rescue her, but she doesn't want their roles of him being the hero and her being the damsel in distress to be etched in stone. She's got this. At the funeral, Grams shows up for Jen and it's very sweet, but Jen wants nothing to do with it. When the pastor asks if anyone has anything to say about Abby, Jen stands up and she gives a horrible, horrible speech about how nasty Abby was. And if God made Abby in his image, then what does that say about God? This hits Grams really hard. She gets up and storms out of the church. When it comes to Andy's eulogy, it's very heartwarming. And it's about how there's people in your life that love you, but there's also people in your life that challenge you and who push your boundaries and push your limits. And how Abby was one of those people. And how she'll never forget Abby because she taught Andy how strong she can be. Joey's journey throughout this episode is dealing with her mother's death from three years ago. She and Dawson immediately agree not to analyze their reunion for the next few days. She tells her dad that a girl at school died and they talk about how, you know, they never really got closure with her mother's death. Joey tells Dawson that she's not going to go to the funeral because the last one she went to was her mother's. And she hasn't even visited the gravesite since. She's just hoping that God will send her mom back to her and it's all been some cosmic mistake. She's hoping her mom will come back like her dad did. Dawson tells her that that's a child's false hope and he says that she really needs to deal with this. Later, Joey opens up to her dad about how she's starting to forget the way her mom sounded and the way her mom was. And he says that he felt the same way when he was in prison. But now that he's out and he sees Joey, he realizes Joey is just like her mother. and He remembers everything about her now. Joey shows up to the funeral, and afterwards she asks Dawson to accompany her to her mother's gravesite. Dawson, meanwhile, says that if Abby's death has taught him anything, it's not to have any regrets. 
He does not regret getting back together with Joey, and he's so glad they reunited. Jen and Andy get to talking at the gravesite, and Jen says how she immediately regrets her speech. She doesn't know what she was thinking. And poor Grams. Jen says Andy was not to blame for Abby's death, and she apologizes for saying that. Jen says she's the one responsible. She got her drunk in the first place, and she saw Abby in the water that night, and she just couldn't reach her. Andy says it's no one's fault. It was a horrible accident, and tells Jen about Abby's diary and how horrible it was. And she realizes she needs to get to it before Abby's mom sees it and reads it. When Jen returns home to apologize to Grams, she sees that Grams has packed up all of her belongings and moved them to the porch. Grams has had enough. And she said that speech today was intended to wound her publicly. She's humiliated, and she says it's time for Jen to find somewhere else to live. She's tired of her rebellious nature, and she's tired of Jen causing her pain. While Jen is there to apologize, it's too late. And when Grams is alone, we see that this really pains her, but she knows that she has to do it. The final scene is Andy sneaking into Abby's bedroom to steal the diary. And in an eerie moment, Andy catches a glimpse of Abby. And it hints that perhaps Andy's mental health issues are not a thing of the past. And that is episode 219. Abby Morgan, rest in peace. What a doozy. I said rest in peace, Abby Morgan, but it's really Abby Morgan, rest in peace, which you did on the last. Yeah, episode. it's very hard to keep straight. And honestly, they've shortened it on all websites now to just rest in peace. And I wonder if that's because of like spoiler culture. Do you think? Yeah, it could be. But you never know if it's like a literal death or a metaphorical death. Sure. <laughs> you know, all those metaphorical deaths. It's all you ever hear about. It's a great episode. It is a great episode. I have lots to say about it, but... There's no doubt that it's a great episode because it was written by Mike White, who we know we love. Most recently, he was with us last episode. He's a big Abby Morgan guy. And it was directed by David Semmel, who we know we love, and most recently was with us on episode 216, Be Careful What You Wish For. So they had a real strong dream team on this one. Yeah, these two are definitely the most defining. I think they're the most defining writer and director of season two. They have the most shape of the tone and the look and very influential in season two. I don't want to say they carried season two on their backs, you know, but their fingerprints are all over it. Who is getting the guest cast shout out? I'm going to give the guest cast shout out this week to Michelle Scarabelli, who plays Mrs. Morgan. Her casting is so good. She looks like Abby. It's unreal. It's like Abby grown up. They were like, I totally agree. I mean, I think every parent on this show it's very believable to me. Well, Michelle is a Hallmark movie darling. She is in tons of Hallmark movies, tons of Hallmark Christmas movies. That's like basically her whole thing. She has 95 credits. She has like a long standing acting career. She's been in tons of stuff. But I also wanted to talk about, I Googled the minister because he looked really familiar to me. And I was like, why does this guy look so familiar? His name is Steve Bowles. And I don't know why he looks familiar. I couldn't find anything outside of Dawson's that I recognized him from. But he is in two episodes of Dawson's. He's in this episode and he's in season five, episode 22, playing a completely different character. And I love when shows do that. I love when it's like he played six different characters across seven different seasons. It's my favorite thing. I know. Spoiler alert. The woman that Dawson kissed in the bar, the woman from The Walking Dead. Yes. She comes back again as a whole new character. I feel like I remember you saying that. Oh, maybe I texted it to you. Yes. But I, I mean, I think it's something that we'll see less and less of now that we're on like streaming culture and binge culture. You're rewatching episodes. Right. Back then. 
the casting directors call up those old reliables, old faithfuls. The pool is only so big in Wilmington, or was only so big at the time. So when you find somebody who's good, bring them back. Yeah. And a lot of casting directors, I mean, you read the same people over and over, and you you become friendly. A lot of casting directors and actors become friends. And so uh, on my last season of the sitcom I was on, I got to sit in on casting sessions and the casting directors really do kind of push the same people and bring the same people back to read. And it's really nice to see that. Yeah. A daytime still does it. Daytime still does it. You know, someone will be a judge one year, the next year, there'll be a cop the next, you know, because you know that they're available, they're reliable. They know the format, they know rehearsal format schedule, they could do it. They'll come in, they'll get the job done, they'll do a good job and that'll be it. The pastor was doing a lot of face acting. <laughs> A lot. A lot of I think a lot of people were doing a lot of face acting in that church, though. Yeah. Do you have a music moment? Yes. The music moment that sticks out to me, it was not used on the Prime app, but Magic by Ben Folds plays at the funeral. I believe it's when everyone's coming in. And that is something I think I talked about it before in the pod, how like I was not a big Ben Folds person, but this episode, I was like, oh, what's that song? And I found out it was Ben Folds. And that was this was kind of my gateway into Ben Folds. I still never became a huge Ben Folds person, but this song was the entryway. It's so good. It is so good. That was mine too. And the song to me, every time I hear it, I think of Dawson's for sure. Oh, absolutely. And I know there's a few other, I think there's a few others... There's a montage, like we said, at the gravesite where they're putting flowers down on Abby's grave. I believe that song's on the soundtrack that they released in the summer. And then the 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 song where they're at Joey's mom's gravesite is also a good song. Sophie B. Hawkins. Lose Your Way by Sophie B. Hawkins. Yeah, like we talked about, they're, they're amping up for the soundtrack. They know what's going to be on the soundtrack. They're working it in. The music is upping its game. Yeah, after a little lull in the middle of the season, they're coming back. Do you have any past versus presents? The only past versus present I have is, I have mentioned this before on the pod and definitely to you in conversation, but the moment at the very end of the episode where Andy is in Abby's room and she sees Abby for a split second in the mirror used to scare the shit out of me. Mm -hmm. It is imprinted on me to the point that I would just skip the end of the episode or not watch the episode at all because it really scared me and i watched it this time and i was like oh my gosh that was like a split second moment that's not scary at all yeah. it was so crazy to me i was like oh i had this built up in my head as like a moment where in my head she was like really scary looking she's not she's just standing in the room smiling and then she turns around and she's gone i was like oh wow i really made a mountain out of a molehill there i think everything's scarier when you're younger totally did you notice how Monica Kina runs out of the... Sh you could kind of catch a glimpse of her running out of the shop before the camera turns around? No. Uh, yeah, I don't know why they didn't just cut. What about you? I guess my past versus present... Well, in general, my mom passed away about a month ago, so it's all hitting. Everything mom and funeral related just hits like way heavier now obviously sure so like the stuff that andy said like the words that people told me about my brother at his funeral like got me through it and i'll never forget it obviously everything funeral and death related in this episode is obviously going to hit harder than it did before because i never really had an experience with death before of course but the biggest thing i think was when jen is giving this speech <laughs> Why Abby's mom did not go up and drag her out of the church by those little hair clips. Or anyone. 
Like not even her mom, like anyone. Oh, anyone. Yeah. Like just, wow. wow. That was hard to sit through. And that is the place where when I referenced to the face acting, everyone is like, yeah, but nobody does I anything. I think in my, in my memory, I thought it was always a speech more directed at God. Like I thought that she took a lot of shots at God, which she does, but I don't remember her speaking so negatively about Abby in the speech. You know, I think you can get away with it if you're kind of speaking generally about God, maybe. But the fact that she talks so negatively about Abby, those are my two things where I was just like, wow, I would, especially as a parent. Yeah. That's like a whole other level of grief. You don't let someone do that. No. But it's TV and it made for a good moment. It did. Shall we open it up? I mean, Oscar nominee Michelle Williams is working it from the jump. She is. She's in a trance. She's mumbling. She's stuttering. She's stammering. Her in this cold open, top tier. Give her an Oscar for this, if you're not going to give her an Oscar for anything else. Seriously. And, I mean, she's doing it all in that feather leather <laughs> jacket. That she's been in the water in. She's a mess. Props to makeup on this episode. All of the ruddy mascara. Very reminiscent of the hurricane when Gail sat out on the porch all night. They are... Numerous scenes where Michelle Williams has a mess of mascara on her face. <laughs> Props to makeup. Do you think before they get to the room and see Jen, do you think in Dawson and Joey's minds they were going to go have sex? No, they would need to talk about it and talk about it and talk about it and talk about it and talk about it. <laughs> That's true. No, I think they were just going to canoodle and cuddle and make out, watch ET or some shit. <laughs> the way they were looking at each other at the bottom of that ladder, I was like, are they going to do it? I don't think so. Do you really think that? I mean, probably not. But can you imagine? Imagine if they just both lost it right here. What a different show. <laughs> Seriously. And how about Joey comforting Jen? That was a nice It was moment. wonderful. And it, it just really cemented what we were talking about last episode, that Dawson is not the person you want to go to when you're having a crisis. He just kind of stands there and stares at her. And Joey immediately was like, oh, yeah, I need to be like hugging this person. I know. Dawson really pissed me off in this episode because... When Joey's like, I'm waiting for it to be a cosmic joke. I'm waiting for God to tell me it's a big joke. And my mom's going to walk through the door just like my dad is. I mean, I think that's a very real feeling. Mm -hmm. That's something like my family has been saying. And then Dawson's like, grow up. It's been three years. <laughs> like, excuse me. It's like, that's really something you should get over, I think, by now. <laughs> I believe the words were, it's a childhood's false hope. It's a child's false hope. Uh, yes. Dawson, not now. Not hey, ever, Dawson. Go edit your freaking movie and cry. Also, I'm pretty sure I have Mike Potter's shirt. Oh. <laughs> the blue flannel with the uh, elbow patches, except mine is red. Nice. Anyway, not me. Not me <laughs> dressing like Mike Potter. Well, speaking of Mike Potter, last episode you were talking about how you wished that there was a little button and a little closure on like the Mike Potter, Joey's mom situation. And he tried to give that to yeah. you and Joey shut him down this episode. Yeah, I was just confused about the timeline. I, I They still don't really answer arrest versus death. We know it all happened three years ago, but like, did he get arrested after she died or during it? Or I think after. Like, do you think in the show they're kind of on the same timeline? Like, do you think it's supposed to be spring 99 in the show? Mm -hmm. Because Joey's mom died December 1995. So that's like three, three and a half years ago. It's all very cloudy. Right. Not the armbands, not the armbands for remembering Abby. 
Not the armbands and not this girl like looking like she could be Abby's like stand-in. Monica Kina's stand-in. I mean, maybe it is. I'm currently working on a show about the Holocaust and I was triggered by the armbands. We we literally look at armbands every day and I was like, hmm, what a weird choice. What a strange thing to choose for remembrance. You're talking about the girl in the grief group who's like, I'm selling armbands to commemorate Abby. Yellow armbands. So weird. Yellow sunlight, just like mm. Abby. So everyone's really being really fake and or they're just being really nice in the wake of her death. Because like Andy says, you don't want to malign the dead. Yeah. The armband girl is also selling yellow carnations or something in the in the cafeteria. I guess people feel like they need to do something. She loves a fundraiser that one. <laughs> Joey has a lot of unresolved issues. She hasn't gone to the gravesite. She is hoping it's all just a big dream. Yeah. And Dawson says, it's not a dream, bitch. <laughs> what are you, stupid? It's been three years. <laughs> Classic Dawson. Classic Dawson making everything about himself. The journey in this episode for him is he realizes he doesn't want to die with any regrets. <laughs> so he doesn't regret making he doesn't regret making up with Joey last week at the wedding. He doesn't regret making the wedding all about him. And he's going to make this funeral all about him. He said something. I forgot the phrasing, but it was like, I don't want to have regret coursing through my veins. Something about like with being in his blood. Get out of town. And that whole scene, it was after they went to the grave. They're like walking through. And it, it's like they're covered by sticks. You have to watch it again. It's like she does like all sticks in front of them. Yeah. They're, on their, they're on their way to the grave because at the end oh. of his big speech, he's like, when you go somewhere right, with me, right, right. he's like, yeah, anywhere. Gail might be going to Philly. Why? Can you picture Gail in Philly? I truly cannot. No, I'm from near Philly, so I could say Yeah, that. no. I mean, at this time, I liked Philly, but have you been to Philly lately? Oh. I haven't. And I, I have spent a large amount of time in Philly, but Gail, she's not tough enough. She doesn't have what it takes to be in Philly. No. Gail won an award <laughs> for the piece that she did. <laughs> on the girls mm -hmm. in uncharted waters episode 212 and she's offered a position in philadelphia and she's taking it and she's like dawson i'm not uprooting you your dad's gonna move back in he's like i don't want to go to philly that's his first thing he <laughs> says uh and then he tells mitch and mitch is like well, I'll call her and say congratulations. Like, no follow-up questions, no logistics, no nothing. Just like, what are these people doing? Look, Mitch is banging Miss Kennedy. Okay, He's got other things on his mind. Life's good for him. He's stubbing at Capeside High. He's making that cash. He's got a job. He's got a loft. He's got a hot girlfriend. The loft has a cage. <laughs> and also, he doesn't have to hear from Dawson what a loser he is now that he has a job. True. But still kind of. He basically told him that this episode. Mitch says, you know, when someone dies, it just teaches you to, like, pull the people you love closer. And then Dawson's like, you're not pulling mom closer. You're a big liar. Why do you lie, liar? I just want to say, I think Meredith Monroe looks amazing in this episode. Skin, flawless, hair, looking great. And she's also very... Obviously, she's having a tough time with everything going on, but she's pretty composed. Sure. She's got her head on straight. She knows what she has to do, which we'll get into. Yeah. I mean, she gets accused of basically involuntary murder or second degree murder. I don't, I didn't go to law school. I don't know. <laughs> you didn't? <laughs> Should have. <laughs> Shh. 
she gets in, accused of being responsible for Abby's death, and she takes it pretty well. <laughs> she does. She does. And that's why we love her. So we've already said Mrs. Morgan was amazing casting. Andy and Pacey see her out at a coffee shop. And she asks Andy to speak at the funeral. That is really bold. I get it. It's bold to ask someone. She was like, who are you again? Oh, yeah, I think I know you. Someone that you don't know, that I feel is bold. Asking someone you know, that's different to me. Yes, I see what you're saying. I do like how they, because they did layer in in episode 212. It's true. When Abby and Andy get into a fight, Abby's mom takes Andy home. Now, we don't see Abby's mom really. I think maybe we do, but I don't think it was this actress. Maybe it was. I don't know. But I like that they went back to that. Canon. Do you think at that point they knew that this was coming or do you think it was just a happy accident? I think it might have been a happy accident because I that, this was seven episodes ago and there was Christmas. So they probably it's probably like five, six months in between. And I know Monica Kina left the show, like we said, because she wanted to be in L.A. for pilot season and stuff. And we, we didn't mention this last time, but Monica Kina had a pretty good career after Dawson's. She she had a couple of years really. She was everywhere. Yeah. So she did have a successful run after this so it was a good decision for her to leave so i think her leaving was like kind of last minute or yeah yeah probably a surprise so i don't think it was the plan but i do like i i liked her asking andy to do the eulogy although i agree it's it's far-fetched a little but it was it didn't feel forced because of the pre we knew that they had the previous interaction yeah and if abby doesn't have any friends then i don't know it worked for me, but I totally see your note. Yeah. Uh, and it's not even a note for the Dawson's people. It's just a note that I think that that's a really bold move. <laughs> but go off. She's grieving. She doesn't know what she's doing. True. Did you notice that Abby's house has hanging baskets with ferns in them? Which, if you recall, is my favorite thing. We love a hanging basket. We love a hanging basket. You don't really love a fern, but I love a fern in a hanging basket. I think it's so classy. I don't love a fern. <laughs> But I love a hanging basket. Give it another chance when you rewatch the episode. They're on the porch. Love them. Have you ever been to a... um... Botanical garden. Nursery. Have you ever been to a botanical (laughs) garden? (laughs) The... uh, It's... I don't know what to call it. Uh, The... um, Describe it to me. Have you ever been to visiting hours at a a home when someone's passed away? So... Like the body's not there. It's just the family. No. So back in the day, again, I just went through this. So back in the day, you used to put in the obituary visitation at blank Wednesday night, let's say between seven and 10. Usually, I, I mean, I am I was raised Catholic. So that's usually at a funeral home where the body is there and the, the family's there. And there's a receiving line. Yes, it was called a wake. But I do know that sometimes they are at homes. I've never been to one. I have been to a home after a funeral for like a repast situation, like yes. at the home, but no, never mm-hmm. to the home before. Well, that's what this is. So I I found that kind of interesting. There's So there are flowers everywhere. I'm assuming, you know, they're sending their condolences, yeah, their yeah, condolence yeah. flowers. I just love that. Again, 90s. Every room's a different color. Oh, yes. Entryway is green, I believe. Abby's room is purple. Oh, yeah. It was also very reminiscent. Something about that entryway was really giving me the summer I turned pretty season two. Yes, when Belly made the funeral all about her. 
Well, I I love the Morgan house. I mean, you know, I love a 90s decor. Love it. And love the porch. Love the ferns. You'll come around. Love the ferns. <laughs> I mean, the hanging basket, not the ferns. Jen is getting drunk on the dock. She's throwing memorial wreaths. Jen is on him. She's drinking something right out of the bottle. She's, look, she's crazy. She's losing it. And I think that she should be losing it. If I tried to save my friend from drowning and didn't succeed, I would also be losing it. Fair. She's coming apart. People are trying to support her, but it seems like nobody's really getting through. Now, to your point, like one might say Jen and Abby weren't that close. But if you recall last episode, Jen said, Abby, you're the best. All my best times. Best thing that happened to me this year. Yeah. To quote Lauren Conrad, to Heidi on the Hills, all my favorite memories are my memories with you. That's a real niche reference. No, people will get it. So did you notice the boom mic <gasps> reflection in the bedroom scene? I didn't. In the mirror? It's in a, I believe it's in a picture because Abby, Abby's room has a lot of, you know, in the 90s, it may be still now, those pictures that were like little French prints mm-hmm. or ballet dancers, or she just has a lot of those little pictures that you know my mom also had but so i was kind of looking at those because i don't know i just found them funny because i had them and uh, i was like oh the reflection of a boom mic good catch i love that stuff love that stuff i always look for that i always anytime there's a mirror oh, yeah. especially in bathroom scenes when like someone has to open like a medicine cabinet mirror i always look for but i rarely see them though i know they're really good at like people on set are really good at knowing what they can and can't get away with because that's part of my job, making sure we don't see those things. Yeah. And it's hard. It is hard. I mean, remember when the Starbucks cup got in Game of Thrones? <laughs> it's so funny because the showrunner that I'm working with right now is a first-time showrunner. So it's like her first time going through the entire post-process. She's been a writer for a really long time and a producer. So she's familiar with like writing and set. But this is her first time going through post. And we just had our first couple of QC passes, which is where like somebody who is not familiar with the show watches the show. And from what I understand, they split it into quadrants. So like you're only watching the upper right quarter of the thing to see. I might have already talked about this on the pod. I can't remember, but to find issues. Yeah, I don't think you have. That's that's interesting. Yes. The four quadrants. Yeah. So it's like basically to make it like it's nonsense it's not you don't get in, into the story because you're only seeing a piece of the, the picture so you can pick out if there's like crew or something that doesn't belong and mm-hmm. I talked her through the QC results and she's like man she's like I'm really starting to see how there was a Starbucks cup left in Game of Thrones there's just so many pieces to the puzzle and like so many things you watch so many times and never notice oh if, yeah absolutely yeah if somebody doesn't point well, it out it just especially goes. As a writer, so I was lucky enough to have an amazing showrunner on my last job who let us do notes on our episodes, just on the episodes we wrote. And my writing partner and I, he is more of a brain that's attention to detail and more of a better memory. So he'll say like, oh, we did a take, you know, that was closer up or we did it. I'm just, I'm basically just watching. I was doing it for the experience and to try to get better at it, but like, I'm not good at that. That's not in my wheelhouse. But I would be focusing on the dialogue. Or if the joke worked or yeah, like, should we go with an alt? Because on sitcoms, let's say like line 29 is a joke and it's been hit or miss all week. You would shoot alts. They call them alternative jokes. So 
you would just if a line hits funnier in front of the live audience you'd go with the alts not really necessarily what's in the script so i usually watch when i watch i'm always watching to see if the joke still worked is the dialogue good is the acting is there a better take or is that a little cringe? Like, I'm not watching all of that. Technical. It might be a skill that you develop over time. Yeah, the technical stuff. So if she's doing this for the first or second time, I could totally see why you wouldn't catch those production-y post kind of things. Totally. It's also because, I mean, these are, your, these are your words, and most writers are pretty self-deprecating and self-hating. So it's probably just a exercise to listen to your words be brought to life for the first time because you're like, oh. Or for someone to interpret your oh. words differently. Like- Maybe performance-wise, they put something yeah. in and you're like, no, no, that wasn't the intention. Or they cut out a line and you're like, no, no, that was important because. Yeah. You know who doesn't have a problem watching his own work? <laughs> Dawson, because he's watching these scenes of Abby over and over. Over and over. And over. Because Abby plays Jen in the movie about his life. Andy's eulogy was really good. She was truthful, but not mean. Yeah. She it was meaningful. It kind of hit with everybody. Everyone was like, yeah, Abby was challenging. You need those people who push you and teach you how strong you are. Yeah, I got weirdly emotional throughout numerous parts of this episode. It's like, oh, what's wrong with me? And I was on a plane <laughs> flying back from Texas with my Bucky <laughs> shirt. Oh, my God. And the girl next to me, she didn't have headphones and she was on TikTok the whole time. No. And I kept waiting for the flight attendant to say something like, put your headphones on or do you need headphones or, and they didn't. No, I had headphones, but every now and then when there was like a dip in the dialogue, I would hear her. She was nuts. That's awful. And she kept like Snapchatting like selfie videos of herself. I don't know. It was bizarre. So I'm trying to say that me crying at Dawson's Creek wasn't like, I didn't feel embarrassed because I was like, this girl's a disaster. She wasn't phased. One time I read I was reading The Fault in Our Stars on a plane back to California, and I got to the end, and I <laughs> cried audibly. <laughs> I have never been more embarrassed. <laughs> I have never been more embarrassed. It was like, you know, when you, you're just having a time, it's like you're going through something in your life, and just something hits you in that way, and I was like, oh. It's like, oh God, like streaming. You know who you're talking to? <laughs> yeah, I'm familiar. With, I'm familiar with that feeling. Last Christmas on the way back. So this was last Christmas. All my parents, everyone was alive. <laughs> I I was watching Family Stone because mm. I, I have certain movies that I watch every Christmas. Home Alone, Christmas Vacation, Family Stone. And I didn't get to watch Family Stone last year. So I was watching on the plane back. And from the first image of them showing up at the house like the first scene is sarah jessica parker and dylan mcdermott dermot mulroney <laughs> one of those <laughs> dylan mcdermott yes at like Saks or whatever but then there's as soon as the gay couple pulls into diane Keene's oh. house i just started crying and it wasn't like sobbing it was just tears like just tears <laughs> <laughs> that's how crying is but do you know what i mean yeah. my eyes were tearing but i wasn't like crying Almost the whole two hours of the movie, I was crying, but I had a mask on. So I was hoping the guy next to me wasn't really seeing it. But he said something to me. I can't remember exactly, but he was just like, wow, are you okay? Or like, do you need anything? Oh. And I was just like, oh, mortified. I was mortified. That's very sweet. My friend who I don't believe listens to the podcast told me once that she <laughs> watched Marley and oh me on a couch. <laughs> woman next to her reached over and 
patted her hand and was like, it'll be okay, dear. <laughs> and it's so, that, that story was so funny to me. But anyway, I don't know. What is it about, and on planes, I'm just more emotional with anything. Oh, yeah. Like even music kind of hits different up there. I don't know what goes on. Must be, must be the opposite. <laughs> If you ever see me crying on a plane, just keep it moving. <laughs> it's fine. I'm fine. <laughs> it's okay. I'll let you know if I'm having an emergency. <laughs> and I'm flying on Wednesday. Can't wait to see what I cry on. Oh. Well, Jen hates Grams. Wrong. I think she's very much so in the wrong. Like, Grams, we know, can be a little pushy with the religion, but... She was just trying to help. She was just trying to comfort her in the way she knows how. Jen is drunk. Her mascara is running. She's yelling at Grams. Grams is just trying to cook dinner. But Jen very quickly came around to the error of her ways. Like, she has this speech at the funeral. And then by the time they bury the body, she's like, I'm such a jerk. I'm so sorry. I thought that was a pretty quick rebound. Yeah, well... I think that's pretty relatable because sometimes when I throw a tantrum, I immediately it's out. You know, I'm an Aries. I just need to like freak out. out. And then once it's out there, I'm like, hi. <laughs> hey, about that. It's me. <laughs> you know, I just need to kind of unload and then then I'm good. Makes sense. So I thought that was pretty relatable. The thing I have to ask you is when she comes back to the house and Grams has packed up all of her stuff. They have a little argument on the porch. She says, Grams, Grams. And then she says, Grandma, do you think that was a Mike White choice? Or do you think that was a Michelle Williams choice for her to call Grams Grandma? Because it was really effective to me. We've never heard her call her Grandma. And it like brought it to this new place for me of like desperation and kind of like not her usual like, oh, Grams, like, you know, how she talks to her kind of like in her gen way. That's a really good observation and a good question. And I, I would think it was Mike White. What do you think? I don't know. I really don't know. It just struck me. It was really good. It was a great scene. I was happy for Grams. In that scene, she's done being a doormat. Jen is on the street. Woo-hoo. Back to the street, city girl. Now, Mike Potter says that Joey is like a replica of her mother in every way. That's cute. Helps give us a sense of who she is and who she was. Yeah. That was very cute. My question is, how do you think Jen is going to get all that stuff off the porch? (laughs) It's like boxes and boxes and boxes of stuff. It's not like a duffel bag. And in no world would Grams really be like, you're out of here. Like, I don't care where you go, but you're not staying here. Like, she cares too much to do that. It's going to be interesting to see where she goes. Sure will be. Also, random, kind of like the Meredith Monroe, like Joshua Jackson looks really good in this episode. Like quintessential Pacey. Yeah. Just good. Very cute. And I really liked, you know, it's funny because I say I hate a savior complex, but when Mrs. Morgan asked her to speak, she said she would. And then Pacey was like, don't do it, basically, like urging her not to do it. And she was like, I have to, like, she needs somebody to do it. And he was like, I'll do it. She was like, you would do that for me? And he's like, I would do anything to keep you from having a nervous breakdown. <laughs> and I thought that was really cute. Yeah. Because I really think he would have. Yeah. But I like at the end, too, where she's like, I don't need you to save me. Like, if I'm drowning, throw me a lifeline. But we don't have to live in this space where you're constantly saving me. Which I feel like is a conversation that is ahead of its time for 1990. Nine. Nine. 
Agreed. The funeral. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. The background actors. They're acting. They are acting. Oh, also at the funeral, you know what I noticed? You know what my big takeaway was? Joey has a zigzag part. Josephine Potter has a zigzag part. Those were so hot in the 90s. Loved a zigzag part. And I just heard that they're coming back. Of course they are. Duh. Now, she also has a little bit of a little shark bump it thing going on. You know, like those are big in like the aughts. Like a snooky bump? No, but in the back. Do you know what I mean? Like where the back is a little higher than the... Mm -hmm. Well, look, the flowers are popping at the funeral. Lots of big bouquets. The slow-mo at the casket scene was a choice for me. I'm not sure that I loved it, but, you know, it was effective at the time. I like a good slow-mo. Felt like a 90s music video to me. Yeah. Jen calls Abby mischievous, radioactive, toxic, all of these things. I mean, I... Not a good look. No. It was a weird choice. The pastor is very uncomfortable. Very. He's uncomfortable. Everyone in the church is uncomfortable. Like you said, someone should have stepped in and stopped her. Jack also looking really good this episode. Like, he looks hot. People are really coming into their own. Also, Abby's dad, face acting. But his is good. I really feel his pain and confusion. And maybe he's like, my daughter was a bitch. (laughs) Maybe. I do feel like a few, like people were very appalled at Jen's speech, but then also when Andy was saying her speech, which was basically the nice version of Jen's speech, they were all like, yeah, you know what? You're right. Yeah. They just needed it in a different wrapper. They needed it in different packaging, that message. If looks could kill, the look that Grams gives Jen. Jennifer. Wow. Amazing. Mary Beth Peel. Amazing. And- Andy steals the diary and has a little bit of a like psychic psychic break, psychological break, a psychological break. Yeah, she sees Abby in the mirror behind her. Used to be terrifying, and I think it's just because it's that like that's a trope, right? Like seeing someone in the mirror behind you, or like yeah, you're brushing your course. teeth and you come up and see somebody. But I thought it was really effective, and it reminds me of a story my godfather and my dad were on a golf trip when they were in their 20s i would say and they were staying in like a condo in the outer banks it was four guys in one condo my godfather got up to pee in the middle of the night and looked i feel like in the mirror but somehow he saw that there was someone standing behind him in the bathroom wearing shoes like it was not one of the people who was staying in the house and a stranger had snuck in with a knife and was hiding in the bathroom and so while he's peeing there's somebody standing behind him he pins him up against the wall and just starts yelling and my dad comes out and my godfather was like call the police and my godfather had to testify against that man in court that is not where i thought i thought you were gonna say like you saw a ghost which i would totally buy i totally believe in all that Oh my Real gosh, man. that's terrifying. I know. So I think that story combined with this, I don't know. I just, that's a, that is a fear of mine. Specifically in bathrooms, I'm like, between the mirror and the showers, I'm like, somebody is in here. I know it. Dead or alive, there's somebody in here. It's, it's all just terrifying. That's all I have. That's all I have. Let's move on to the Dawson's draft. So it's Valentine's Day. Valentine's week. Tomorrow is Valentine's Day. Yeah. We have already done best couples. So we're going to do worst couples. What better to get you in the mood 
for Valentine's Day. For all the single people, love stinks. And then for all the people who are in couples, this is how you this is how you do not treat your other person. Do not do these things that these couples have done. Yeah. It's one of those weird things where like when you're in a relationship, sometimes you celebrate it, sometimes you don't. Like if it falls on a weekend, sure. If it falls in the middle of the week like this, like maybe it will, maybe it won't. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, I'm first. Go, 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 go. I am going to take Dawson and Joey because they are truly the worst couple. That is so rude. (laughs) They don't belong together. She didn't go to France for him for no reason whatsoever. She could be living her life in France. I just don't think that they're good for each other. And I think it's proven that they're not great for each other by the end of the series. And I think they're the worst. I don't know if there's scientific data to prove that, but... (laughs) Yeah, on this rewatch, I definitely see that, again, I still am Dawson and Joey, but I see that it's not because of their physical chemistry. Uh, It's more that I think I had a thing for like unrequited friendship love. Sure. Makes sense. And I think that's why I wanted them together. For my number one, I am going to go with, I, I truly believe this might be one of the worst couples of all time in the history of television. And I feel very strongly about it. And I'm going to go with, Miranda and Che from and just like that and my whole thing is I really like Sara Ramirez and I don't hate Che the character like when she's in solo scenes or when she's in scenes with Carrie I I kind of like Che when they they rather I'm sorry but they're they're the worst couple I think in the history of television I think I'm going to take Cersei and Jamie Lannister why? You know, <laughs> incest, deception, murder. Sure. You know, it's just, they're gross. And she's a witch. She killed her son's wife and then her son killed himself and that made her queen. Like, they're just both terrible people and they're a little nauseating. I actually love Cersei. I think she was one of the more interesting characters on the show. Oh, but sure. yeah, I mean, obviously we're... We're supposed to hate her. And, and I love Jamie. Love Jamie. Like, I love him. And every time he goes back to her, I'm like, ugh. Yeah. Don't sleep with your twin brother. No. Or your twin sister. I would advise against it. Don't push a little boy out of a window if you decide to do that and he catches you. Yeah. Great point. Really great point. Just don't. For my number two, I'm going to go along with the incest theme. Oh. And my number two is Dexter and Deb from (laughs) Dexter. Now, these two never actually got together, but in the final season, they toyed with it, and Deb was having fantasies and dreams about Dexter. And they were raised as brother and sister from the time he was a little baby. So they weren't blood-related, but they were essentially in every other way siblings. And it was weird. Gross. I always thought it was weird, or I always think it's weird if and when real life partners play siblings, which I know has happened on multiple shows, like on Parenthood. What's her name and what's yeah. his name? Lauren, Peter Krause. Lauren Graham. And... Yeah. 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 They were they were dating in real life, and I think that's why the show toyed with it, but ugh. awkward. I think I'm going to take I'm gonna to turn to comedy because this is one of the most enraging couples to me. It's Robin and Ted from How I Met Your Mother. That show, for a million different reasons, I disliked their relationship throughout the course of the series. I think Robin 100% should be with Barney. I think that they're wonderful for each other. The show is all about how he met 
the mother. And then at the very end of the series, they make you fall in love with the mother, kill her off. And then he goes back to Robin and it made no sense. The chemistry isn't really there so much. They don't make sense. It was just enraging and I hated it. It enraged me. So I had to put them on the list. I agree with you. The chemistry was not there. And I think it was there with Barney, Robin's chemistry with Barney. Definitely. I think Ted is Ted is a tricky character because he's just so annoying. So annoying. I, I feel you. I, I considered them, but I did like how the finale kind of gave us that little twist at the end. I don't know if I liked the twist, but I appreciated their attempt to do something. Because it's not easy to put a twist on a show where they've been telling you the ending the whole time. I, for my number three, I'll also pick a comedy in the same vein, an ensemble. And I'm going to go with Joey and Rachel from Friends. Mm. I was just a Ross and Rachel, like, loyalist. Like Dawson's Creek, I had every big Ross and Rachel episode on VHS. <laughs> I used to record I used to record Friends every week. And if it was, like, a really big Ross and Rachel episode, I would keep it and then record the next one after that one. Ross and Rachel were just, like, everything to me. And then when they paired with Joey and Rachel, it just didn't... I could watch it back now and appreciate it a little more. But I remember being very upset with Friends at the time. Didn't work. It felt like sacrilege. I'm with you. I would like to do a Friends rewatch. I watched it when it was on and like I'll catch episodes here and there, but I haven't done like an end to end rewatch. I would like to do that. This Christmas, um, I, I did like a season five, six, seven rewatch. It's really nice. good. Who's your number four? I think I'm going to take one that you would never take, which is Claire and Martin from Fleabag. It's Fleabag's sister and her brother-in-law. Brother-in-law is played by Brett Gelman and he is just such an asshole. It's like crazy how much of an asshole he is. And Claire just kind of puts up with him. And she's very much so the buttoned up sister and the one that's like, no, everything is good. All my decisions are sound. Everything is fine. And if you question her or press her, she'll like get very tense and like freak out a little bit. But she chose her path. She married Martin. She's seeing it through. She's going to make it work. Like that's kind of her vibe especially in season two and he is just he couldn't be worse he couldn't be worse they're terrible it's just a really bad relationship okay okay let me know after you do your rewatch how you feel about that i will go for my number four i'm gonna go back to sex in the city original Mm. and i'm going to go with carrie and the russian i hated the russian i completely forgot about the russian little dancer awful my favorite thing about sex in the city was when Carrie and Miranda fought and they get into this huge fight about the Russian. I believe it's uh, the series finale is a one hour, like two episodes of Sex City put together as a one hour series finale. And it starts off with Miranda and Carrie getting into a fight over the Russian. And it's after their friend's funeral. I don't know. We're just very funeral heavy. We're in a funeral heavy <laughs> era of our yeah. podcast. They're walking and Miranda just lays into her and she's like, he's not good for you. And then Carrie's like, well, don't you move to Paris with him. But yeah, the Russian was just selfish like changed carry affected our friendships if your person can't ride with your friends eh, where's it going yeah and they were you're right i loved when they would fight they felt like the closest two in the four and they felt like the most grounded like real kind of fights like friend fights like it was real yeah. stuff that they were bringing up and like yeah it was good that's i like that they brought a fight into the movie too when uh carrie finds out that miranda told big the night before like never get married yeah their their friendship's definitely the one i was most invested in me too what's your number five i have a few left on my list oh boy 
I think I'm going to take, uh, and I probably should have taken them earlier just because it would have tied in better if I was like better at transitions, but I think I'm going to take George and Izzy from Grey's Anatomy, which is something that we touched on in an earlier Dawson's draft. They didn't really have like a full-blown relationship, but they had such a wonderful friendship. Like they really had what I would call like a near perfect friendship. Their friendship chemistry was so good on the show. And George marries Sara Ramirez playing Callie Torres. So I should have done this during the Che conversation, but they end up hooking up and having this little affair and they had no chemistry to me, like romantic chemistry. It wasn't there. It was a huge miss. There was nothing like steamy or salacious about it like there was no redeeming factors about their affair and then it ended up breaking up George and his wife in a way that obviously was better for everyone in the long run but it just was sad it was sad and it was a miss for me and I just wish that they never got together I knew you were gonna pick that one I knew it I knew it in my bones (laughs) if you're crushing on a friend just make sure you want to go there really think about it is it worth losing the friend because sometimes the answer is no Plus the friendship sucks, then the answer is yes. Yeah, then you if it's like it. a peripheral it's... friend, but if it's an everyday best friend, work friend, not worth it. Don't shit where you eat. I know. I didn't hate them, but I know I'm literally the only person. Yeah, wasn't a fan. Who's your number five? All right, I'm going to go with Gilmore Girls. Rory and Dean. Dean was awful. He was controlling. He's possessive. He publicly broke up with her. He didn't really support her dreams I don't think I don't think you wanted her to go to Yale. I'm not sure if I'm remembering that correctly, but I don't think you wanted her to go to Yale. I think Jess was the one who's like, you should go to Yale. He married someone else, even though he was in love with Rory. And then he cheated on the wife with Rory. He took Rory's virginity and it was an extramarital affair. And he caused a lot of tension between Lorelai and Rory. So I'm going to go with Rory and Dean. I mean, it is always Jess. Duh. So who are your top five? My five worst couples are Dawson and Joey, Cersei and Jamie, Robin and Ted, Claire and Martin, and George and Izzy. Mine are Miranda and Che, Dexter and Deb, Joey and Rachel, Carrie and the Russian, and Rory and Dean. Yeah, I do have some what you watchings, but I think we should kick them to next week because this episode is running long, honey. Can we do one what you watching? Sure. What do you got? I wanted to tell you that I am watching Fleabag. <gasps> yeah. And I didn't want to talk about it. I didn't want to interrupt your flow of Dawson's draft, but I, I started it yesterday and I'm almost done. They're like 20 minute episodes and there's only 12 episodes. I think I'm halfway through season two. I totally agree with you. It's infuriating watching how they treat her and what they get away with. Ugh. So good, though. The series is so funny. Can't wait to have a full debrief about it next week when you've seen it all. What are we going to drink next week for episode 220? We will be drinking the brunette. It is, it's in parts, not in ounces. It's half part dry vermouth, half part red port, one dash of water, one part scotch, and then a lemon and a maraschino cherry for a garnish if you're feeling fancy. I'm going to be honest, I don't have port. We'll see if I get some by then. But if not, I'm just going to drink the rest of it all together. Yeah, I just love that it's called the brunette. And this might be my favorite drink to episode correlation that we've made. And you you made it, which is amazing. Uh, we'll explain why it's called brunette next week. Can't wait. We'll see you then. Bye. Bye.